You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. Well, you can open up to Leviticus chapter 3 and uh, we're going to continue our series where we are at midway through the five offerings of Leviticus. And one of the things I actually love about doing series, if I'm just honest with you, one of the things I love about doing a series is that it kind of forces you to meditate on something a little longer than you might have before. And so as I was just meditating on, you know, what's, what we're going to share this week and just looking over all the information, one of the things that popped up, I never saw this before, was that when you look at the first three burnt offerings, I'm sorry, the first three offerings in Leviticus, are you in Leviticus 3? In fact, let's, let's look there together. I don't have it on the screen, so I'll use my Bible this morning. Leviticus chapter 3. And if you have a Bible that has the titles on the top, you can see that chapter 1 is titled the burnt offering. Chapter 2 is titled the grain or the meal offering. And chapter 3 is titled the peace offering. And what we shared the other week was that when you look at the first three offerings, what you see is that God says that these are a sweet smelling aroma to him. He loves those three offerings. In fact, he says uh, these will always be received to me as a sweet smelling aroma. And he doesn't say that about the last two offerings. He only says it about the first three. Now, the interesting thing, and I shared this the other week, but I'll share just a moment what I, what I learned just the other day. What I shared the other week was this. He calls them a sweet smelling aroma, implying that he loves these offerings because they're all voluntary. In other words, God isn't demanding from anyone that you offer these three. He's saying, hey, look, these are offerings that you can bring on your own. If you want to come to me and bring me an offering, bring it like this, like this, or like this. These are three offerings you're not obligated to offer at all. But he loves them. And when you offer it from your heart, God says, these will always be a sweet-smelling aroma to me. So they're beautiful. But just the other day, I was meditating on this again. It's one of those things I had to meditate on uh, because we're studying it right now. The more I meditated on it, I saw something I never saw before. Did you know that in the first three offerings, you have a picture of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? In the burnt offering, the emphasis is what the sinner is bringing to God. So in the burnt offering, it's all about what's given to God. All right. So right there we have the father in the grain offering. What we saw last week, we saw that it's all about the flour, right? It's all about the food that's brought to God. So again, in the grain offering, you're bringing flour or you're bringing vegetables, one or the other. So right there you have a picture of the son, the father, the son. And this week we're going to be looking at the peace offering. And the peace offering is, well, I don't want to, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the peace offering is all about actually food which at first threw me off, but then I saw something. You know that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he said this, peace I leave with you, my peace I, do you know? Give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it unto you. But right before he said that, he said this, the Holy Spirit, the helper, is coming after me. Meaning, I'm going away, but the Holy Spirit will come. And when he comes, the very next verse, he says, peace I leave with you. So right here we have the third offering, is the peace offering. You have the Father, the burnt, the Son, the grain, and the peace, the Holy Spirit. We have the triune God right there. Now, uh, we can go on to the other two offerings, but we won't do that this morning. This morning, we're here to see the peace offering. Can you say peace? peace. Say shalom. shalom. 
shalom. Now, I think most of us in here, we know what shalom means, but just so that we're all on the same page, shalom, the Hebrew word shalom is an all-encompassing word, meaning uh, everything we need from God. Everything. It's not just peace in terms of quietness. It's peace in terms of your health. It's peace in terms of your wholeness. In fact, uh, one translation says it like this, nothing missing, nothing broken. So whenever you speak peace over your house, what you're saying is there's nothing in my house that's missing. There's nothing in my house that's broken. Uh, and it's not just objects. It's talking about relationships. It's talking about your finances. It's talking about everything. God has used one word to encompass everything you need. And that one word is the word shalom. For us, we call it peace. Now, again, and I, most of us know this, but I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. When you see the peace offering, what you see is it's everything that you need from God. Is everyone still with me? All right, cool. So let's take a look at Leviticus chapter 3, if you're there. In Leviticus chapter 3, pick up at verse 1. The Lord says, when his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his head, I'm sorry, he shall lay his hand on the head of his, of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Say, all around the altar. Cool. Now, this is, uh, I wanted to start off with some teaching before we dive into the actual preaching, if that's all right. All around the altar. Now, if you have your Bible in front, I didn't want to put all this on the screen. But in Leviticus 3, this is uh, 1 and 2. But if you go on from 1 and 2, you pick up in verse 3. He says this, if your offering is, um, hold on, where are we at? Oh, and then I lost it. Aaron's sons, aroma, lay his hand on the head. I can't find it. It might be verse 5. I can't remember. Oh, well, I'll tell you. When you see right here, it says in verse 2, one more time, he says, He shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron and his sons shall sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Now, just like the burnt offering, let me show you. Just like the burnt offering, when you bring the burnt offering, if this is the animal or the sacrifice, you put your hand on the head of the sacrifice, and it's a picture of all the purity and innocence of the sacrifice coming into the sinner. And all the sin of the sinner going into the sacrifice, right? Now, that's the burnt offering. But when you look at the peace offering, it's a little bit different. What you see in the peace offering is not that all my sin is being transferred. What you see is all my lack of peace is going into the animal and all the peacefulness of the animal is coming into me. Now, when you see that, what you see is this. God goes on to mention later on in the same chapter. I can't find the verse off the top of my head. But in the same chapter, you can look it up for yourself. God says you can't offer a bull, a lamb, and birds like in the burnt offering. For the peace offering, it has to be different. It's unique in this way. He says you can only bring an ox, you can bring a lamb, or you can bring a goat. Now, one more time. Ox, lamb, goat. Now, when you look at an ox, the type in the picture is this. An ox is an animal that puts his head down and just works. And works and works. It's a picture of a servant. One of the pictures of Jesus in the book of Mark, one of the faces of Jesus is an ox. Because in Mark's gospel, you see Jesus as a servant. He puts his head down. He's here to work. He's not here to try and talk and do a lot. He's here to work. In chapter one of Mark, Jesus has already started healing. His ministry's already started. So again, the ox is a picture of a servant. The very next animal that God brings is, he says this, or you can bring a lamb. When you look at a lamb, you're looking at righteousness. You're looking at innocence, purity. So again, you have a picture of Jesus in that way. When you look at the last one mentioned, the goat, goats are always a picture of sin. And again, if you look at them in sequential order, you have the ox, the servant, you have the lamb, righteousness, and then you have the goat, speaks of sin. Put them all together, what do we see? What do we see? 
in order for us to have peace, the servant came, gave us his righteousness, and took all our sin. So I love it. Now, now when you're watching all this again, the beauty of the, uh, uh, in fact, oh, where are we at? Oh, man, I didn't put it up here in order. It's all right. When you look at the peace offering, one of the things about the peace offering is this. God says when it comes to the peace offering, the peace offering is actually more so a meal than it is an offering. Yes, there is something that's burnt on the altar. But right here, when you look at, I didn't put it up there. When you look at verse 3, God says, I want all the fat of the animal on the altar, and I want you to eat the meat of it. So every time there's a peace offering, there has to be a meal between you and God. Now, I'll show you that in just a moment. But before we do, I want to show you something really cool. Watch this. In John chapter 13, John chapter 13, Jesus is about to, uh, about to be, he's about to enter into his passion. Now, in John chapter 13, verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. Now, what's the first animal mentioned that we said? The ox. What do we see him doing? He's acting like a servant. So right here, he's about to fulfill every single offering. Verse five. After that, Jesus poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but you will after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. What was the second animal? The lamb. Remember the ox, the lamb and the goat. What do we see right here? If I don't wash you, you have no part. You have been washed as white as snow. And the lamb took our sin for us. So right here we have what? A picture of the ox. Now we have the lamb. Now watch this. Let me show you how he fulfills the goat. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Talking about who? Judas. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Right here, what is he saying? There's still sin here. But that person who has the sin is about to be weeded out. So right here, we have, again, the ox, the servant. We have the lamb and we have the goat. Isn't it cool? I guarantee, let me say this, and I'm not saying this to just try and have a moment. Let me say this. Do you know that the Bible says that angels desire to look into what we are looking into this morning? Did you know that? Angels who were there from the beginning desire to see what we are seeing even this morning. You know that all the prophets and all the, uh, the patriarchs of old, Abraham, Noah, all the patriarchs, Samson, Gideon, all the, even the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, all of them, Though they had visions and though they could see that the Messiah would one day come, they themselves didn't see or know what we are learning this morning. Isn't that beautiful? I love it. So anyways, Jesus fulfilled all three pictures of the offering just right here alone. So let's go back to Leviticus. Is that all right? Now, if you're in Leviticus 3, you see part of the peace offering mentioned, but God is going to begin to break down more of it in chapter 7. Same offering, peace. All right. So let's look at Leviticus chapter 7. In fact, um, oh, I did put it up here. Is that Leviticus? <laughs> All right, you can turn to Leviticus 7. What's going on? I'll show you in just one second, but I'll go to Leviticus 7 in just a second. In Leviticus 3, if you skip down to verse 9, God says this, Then he shall offer the sacrifice of peace offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. 
is fat in the whole fat tail, which he shall remove close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that's on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that's on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. Let me say this. What is God pointing out? He says this, when you bring the offering, I want you to take all the fat inside around his internal organs, and I want you to give me all the fat. Now watch this in verse 11. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Now watch this. God says, I want you to bring all the fat around the entrails, all the fat surrounding the liver, the intestines, the fat on the tailbone. I want you to bring all the fat and I want you to give it to me as food. Now, <laughs> it took me a lot of research to figure out what in the world and why in the world God would say he wanted this. You know that whenever you come to God, God always gets the best portion. Did you know that? When it comes to tithes, we give God the first fruit, right? God gets what's on the top. If you were a farmer back then, whenever you would bring your first fruit offering, you would always bring the, uh, the, the very first crop to God because God gets the best. So when I looked at this right here, I thought, why does God want the fat? Is the fat the best? So I had to go and do some research and some study. And what I found was this, is that the fat has a lot of flavor in it. It has a lot of flavor in it. But the catch is this. Did you know that your brain is made up of 60% fat? Did you know that? Your brain is made up of 60% fat, which means fat is not bad for you to eat. But it has to be the right kind. When you cook vegetables, there's actually a fat that comes off that, which actually feeds into your brain and is actually very healthy for you. It, it, uh, it, pr it promotes brain uh, functionality, okay? So some fat is good. But when it comes to animals, the, the catch is this. When animals... Uh, have the fight or flight syndrome. Whenever they're terrified, whenever they're stressed, what happens is this, the, uh, the enzymes and the bad fluid secretes from certain parts of their body and it goes into the fat. So again, when I'm looking at this, I'm thinking God wants the best portion and what God is saying is, no, 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 I want you to give me all the fat because all the fat is where the poison is. Interesting. Give me all the fat. <laughs> and not just give me the fat. He says, give it to me, burn it on the altar as what? As food. Meaning, God himself is eating. Now, this is very interesting to me. Why is God saying, give me all the fat, which is all the food? And this took a lot of research. But once I saw the picture, man, it made so much sense. At the cross, Jesus is saying, I want you to give me all that can hurt you. All that can cause you to stress. All that can cause you to die. I want you to give that to me, and that's my food. Now, would you like to know what your part is? Now, let's skip over to Leviticus chapter 7. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, He who offers the sacrifice of his peace offering, offering, I'm sorry, offering to the Lord, shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offering. His own hand shall bring the offering made by fire to the Lord, the fat with the breast he shall bring, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. Now, when you hear the word wave, which direction do you, do you think of? Do you think up and down or left and right? When you wave, it's always what? Left and right, right? Now, we talked about this years ago, but uh, let me, uh, again, thank God I'm learning. <laughs> thank God we're always learning and growing. So he says, I want you to bring to me the fat with the breast. And when he brings it, he says this, the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. So again, a wave speaks of something not going up and down, but where? Left and right, side to side. Now watch this in verse 31. And the priest shall burn the fat on the altar. There again, God says, don't forget, I want you to put the fat on the altar. But the breast shall be Aaron's and his son's. Meaning what? Aaron, you go home and eat the breast. Now, when I looked up breast, lamb breast in particular, and I've had lamb before. I don't know if you've had lamb. Lamb is, is, is pretty good. Um, but I've had lamb before. And the, the catch about lamb is this. When you're eating lamb breast in particular, 
Lamb breast, there's a layer of fat on top of it, but if you know how to cook lamb breast the correct way, a lot of culinary experts say it like this. Have you ever had, um, what is it called? Have you ever had pork belly? Has anyone ever had pork belly? Pork belly is delicious. It's probably not good for you at all, but it is delicious, all right? They say culinary, I'm serious, a lot of chefs, and I, I do a lot of research, but a lot of chefs say this. If you eat, if you cook it the right way, lamb breast is just like pork belly in terms of flavor. Now, the reason why is because the fat that is on the top of the lamb breast, when you cut it off, even in the meat, the fat is marbleized. That's a culinary word. <laughs> the fat is marbleized into the meat of the breast. So yes, you're not eating pure fat, but the fat is marbleized, which means you're getting a lot of flavor. So it's almost as good as pork belly. <laughs> now, knowing that, God says, give me, the, give me the fat, you take the breast. Meaning, I'll take the part that's bad for you. I want you to take the part that's very tasteful. All right. I want you to enjoy it. And then he says this. Uh, where are we at? Then he says in verse 32, also the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a heave offering. Now, again, when we think of wave, it's always left to right. But when you hear heave, which direction do you think of? Up and down. So watch this. God says when you bring a peace offering, you're to take the breast and wave it left to right. And then you pick up the thigh and you heave it up and down. What picture do we see right here? We see the cross. Aren't you? I'm telling you. Peter said, they all were looking ahead to the day we are in, wondering what in the world, why in the world would God tell us to do these things? But you and I on this side of the cross, when we look, we see wave, we see heave. He was saying, show me a picture of my son. Now, the beauty of that is this. When you look up the right thigh, did you know that even on a human being, you know your strongest, the strongest part on your body is your thigh. The strongest part on your body is your thighs. So when you look at the breast, what do you see? You see the heart. When you look at the thigh, you see the power of God, the strength of God. Put the two together. God says, I'll take the fat. I want Aaron and his sons, the priest. I want you to feed on his heart and I want you to feed on his strength. What will sustain you in life when you feed on God's love for you? What will sustain us in life is when you feed, knowing that it's his power that's behind you and pushing you. Now watch this. Verse 33, he among the sons of Aaron who offers the blood of the peace offering and the fat shall have the right thigh of his part. Now, I pointed out the blood earlier. Did you know that when you look at the burnt offering, God says this in the burnt. He says, if you bring an ox, there's a lot of blood, sprinkle it all around the altar. He says, if you offer a lamb, again, sprinkle around the altar. But when you offer a dove, there's not enough blood to sprinkle everywhere. So I want you to sprinkle it on the altar itself and then you move on. Now, the difference in the burnt offering is how much blood is presented by each one. The difference between the burnt and the peace offering is this. God says you can offer an ox, a lamb, or a goat. There's so much blood in each one, he says, and you can look for yourself. He says this, there's enough blood that no matter which one you bring, there'll always be enough blood to surround the altar. When I saw that straight away, the Lord said this, son, your peace is determined by how much you know you are forgiven. If you don't know that you're forgiven, you'll never truly enjoy my peace. Oh, man. Because there's enough blood to pour all around the altar. You see, we all want God to move and we all need God to move in certain situations. But he said this. Do you believe that you are forgiven? Because when it comes to peace, when it comes to wholeness, to the extent that you see his blood is all around the altar, to that same extent, you can enjoy his peace. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now, when you see this right here, verse 33, he says this. He among the sons of Aaron who offers the blood of the peace offering. I love this 
Because this, again, this is a sweet-smelling aroma. When the person, when a sinner brings a peace offering, God says, yes, the sinner is the one who kills him. But now the priest, not the high priest, the priest get to be the ones that offer. Do you know who our high priest is today? Jesus. Who are the smaller priests? The Kohanim, not not, not the Kohim, whatever. The Kohanim, the, the, the lower level priest. You know who they are? All of us. God says the one who handles the peace offering, if he sprinkles the blood, what does he get to do? If he sprinkles the blood and he puts the fat where it's supposed to be, then he can eat the right thigh. I love it. What is God saying? If you can see the blood sprinkled and you can give me the part, the portion that's not good for you, then you can feed on my strength. I love it. You see, this isn't for everybody. It's not every priest gets to eat. It's only the priest that handles the offering when it comes. Likewise, let me say this. Every believer has a promise that God will take care of them, but not every believer is enjoying it. Are you with me? May we be numbered among those who enjoy it. Amen. 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 Now, again, what's the secret? If you want the strength, if you want God's strength, the right thigh, if you want his strength in your life, verse 33, he who offers the blood, meaning what? Hey, all my sins are forgiven. Well, you just made a mistake. True, but all my sin is forgiven. And the fat, meaning what? Instead of dealing with the guilt, instead of dealing with the stress, you know, whenever you get stressed out or whenever something bad happens, do you know the first place it hits your body? Does anyone know? Hmm? Well, it does affect your chest, but where do you feel it at? Where does it, where does it impact the most? In your gut, in your stomach. You ever been like stressed out or really terrified about something and your stomach starts to turn? And you can't really, you, you might be able to calm your breathing down, but you can't really control it. It just, it, you know, <laughs> your intestines, they, they literally, it starts to contract. Your muscles start contracting and you start hurting in your gut. What is God saying? Give me the fat around that area because the fat around that area is what's soaking up all the poison and all the pain there. Give me that fat. Give me that part where all the poison is going to so I can take that. Let that be my food. And then what is our, what is our food? Our food is the heart, the breast, which speaks of his love and his strength. Now, when you put the two together, what is God saying? Set a table before me and let me eat. But you come to the table, too, and you eat. When you look at the peace offering, it's God and man eating at the same table. Isn't that awesome? Can we teach a little bit more? Is that all right? (laughs) We haven't got to the preaching part yet. Can we teach a little bit more? Is that all right? When you look at God and man eating at the same table, did you know that, and, and I've said this before when we did our True Repentance series, when, whenever uh, in Middle Eastern culture back then and today, whenever you eat with someone, it speaks of, uh, of, of favor in a sense. It speaks of, hey, I favor this person. I, I favor what they do. I sign off. I check off on this person. Um, this person is a good person. Does that make sense? It's not like if you say, Matthew, let's go out to eat after church and I eat with you. It means nothing. Well, it means something to me. Because you'll probably pay for my meal and I'll love you more for it. But let me say this. In Middle Eastern culture, when you sit down and eat with someone, even today, if someone invites you to their home, what they're saying to all their neighbors and the whole village is this. I accept this person and I receive this person with all their failures and all their uh, uh, all, everything that they are, everything good and everything bad. I sign off on this person. I, I, I receive this person. Does that make sense? Now, when you understand that. If you remember when Jesus was crossing through, I can't remember if Samaria or Jericho, I can't remember. But Jesus was passing through. And on his way through the city, before he arrived, a blind man named Bartimaeus jumped out. I'm sorry, Barna, was it Barnabas? 
it doesn't matter. A blind man jumps out and says, son of David, have mercy on me. And he heals the blind man. The blind man can see. When he crosses through the city, on his way out through the city, all of a sudden he sees Zacchaeus sitting in a tree. Remember? And then he says, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house and eat. Now, the problem with the story is this. Jesus, because he was a celebrity back then, he should have come through the city, stayed in the city, eaten at the house of someone who was important, someone who was highly esteemed in that community. And then by doing that, he would have said, as the celebrity he was, he would have said, hey, I sign off on this good man. Everyone knows he's good. So let me show you that I agree with your opinion of him. Does that make sense? But instead, he doesn't stop in the city. He walks through the city. And as the people in the city are following him, he sees Zacchaeus, the worst sinner in the city. And then says, I want to go to your house. And all the people complain. He went to eat at the house of Zacchaeus. Now, in a sense, he almost dishonored the entire city. <laughs> right? But he did it for one man, Zacchaeus, to show him, I'll honor you where they won't honor you. Give me the guilt and the, all the shame and the condemnation of what you have done to these people. And I'll eat with you and show them what I think of you. And at that meal, Zacchaeus jumped up and said, I will restore four times over everything I stole. And whatever is left, I'll give it back to the poor. Oh, man. See, where did repentance happen? Did it happen before Jesus came? Or did it happen after Jesus gave him grace? After he gave him grace. I love that story. So again, what do you see? What do you see? Eating with God is more than just saying, hey, let's, let's sit down and eat together. Eating with God is God saying, hey, I sign off on you. You are good to go. I receive you as you are. Let's eat together. So when you see this picture, again, we see that God is saying, let's eat together. Now, do you know that whenever you look at the Bible, whenever you um, look at God's word from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, do you know that whenever God eats with someone, it's always a, a big deal? Did you know that? It's always a big deal. We may not see it from a Western culture, but again, whenever God eats with you, it's a very big deal. Now, my first thought was to go to communion, but again, we're not going to go there this morning, okay? We could have, but I'm not going to go there this morning. When you look at whenever God eats with man, the first time God ate with a human being, do you know who it was? It was Abraham. Jesus came with the two angels, and when he came, he sat down and ate with Abraham at Abraham's house or his tent, okay? When he ate with Abraham, do you know that at that same meeting, Sarah laughed. Abraham laughed. Jesus laughed. And then they called the son what? Isaac, which means laughter. <laughs> At that meeting, they came up with a name for the promise that she would receive nine months later. They had the promise for almost 10, 15, almost 20 years before. Jesus shows up. He eats with them. Nine months later, they're holding the promise in their hands. Are you with me? When you eat with God, the promise begins. Fast forward. The next time God would eat with man was at Mount Sinai. God said, continue in my covenant. The people boasted in their, what they could do. And they said, all that you can ask us, we will, we can do and we will do it. And God was angry. God said, you think you're good enough for what I have for you? Fine. Moses, you come up. Moses, you bring the elders. Tell the people, don't come near me anymore. I used to be, be I used to be before you. I used to be among you. But now I have to set up a guard around me. Self-righteousness repels God. So he says, fine. You think you were good enough for me? Moses, you come up with the elders and tell the people to stay back there. And when the elders come up, God says, all right, let's eat. There at Mount Sinai, when they ate, God instituted the old covenant. Isn't that interesting? Now, let's fast forward about 1,500 years. Jesus is in the upper room. <laughs> and at the upper room, what does he do? He takes the bread, he breaks it and says, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. 
He takes the cup and says, drink. This is the cup of the new covenant, my blood, which was shed for the remission of your sin. Drink it. And there, God is eating with us. Now, this time, he's throwing out the old to bring in the new. Isn't that beautiful? Whenever we eat with God, something amazing happens. They ate with God thinking they deserved it, so they got the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and Satan has been using that against God's people ever since. In Colossians, he calls the Ten Commandments the arm, Satan's arm. But Satan has been disarmed. And everyone said, Amen. the same way Satan was armed, he said, let me disarm him in the same way. Let's sit down and let's eat again. But this time, you know that you don't deserve to be here. This time, you know you're not good enough to sit at this table with me. So now let's eat together. Oh, I love it. Are you still with me? Anyway, so still in Leviticus 7. So now after that happens, where are we at? My mind just went blank. So yeah, so he eats with men. Now look at this. Look at this in, where are we at? First Kings, is it First Kings? Is it Second Kings? I hate this clicker. There we go, in Second Kings. Now I want to show you a story. Let me show you two stories in Second Kings. In fact, where's my phone? Can I see that for a second? Right here. Why do you have three phones? No comment. <laughs> I love you. Anyways, now let's look at this real quick. In 2 Kings chapter 4, we have a story of Elisha. Can you say Elisha? Elisha. Now, when I was looking at the story of Elisha uh, just a couple of days ago, and I love to look at the story of Elijah, his predecessor, and Elisha, all right, the one who would come after him, his successor. When you look at the two, their stories are very, very similar. A lot of the things that Elijah did, Elisha does too. But don't forget, Elisha did twice as much, right? Now, Elijah is a picture of God in the old. Elisha is a picture of Jesus in the new. Eli, God is. Sha comes from Yeshua. God is Yeshua. God is my salvation. A picture of Jesus in the new. Now, in this particular story, Elisha... Uh, we'll pick up in 2 Kings chapter 4. Look at verse 8. It says, Now it happened that one day Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. The way to a man's heart. Anyways, <laughs> so it was. As often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look, now I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please, let us make a small upper room on the wall, and let us put a bed for him there, and a table and a chair and a lampstand, so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. Now, some of you know the story. We all know, I don't know, most of you, I think, all of us this morning, we all know that song, It Is Well, right? The old hymn, It Is Well. It is well with my soul. I don't know why they went so low on the opening. I just realized how low that was. It is, okay, I won't do it to you. But anyways, we all know the song, It Is Well, correct? Or we've all heard it at some point. Miriam's never heard it before. Have you heard it, Miriam? Okay, she had this blank look like, what is he doing? Anyways, so uh, we've all heard the song. Well, this is the story of it as well, where that story comes from, all right? But I want you to keep in mind, I want you to see the things that happen on the way there. Now, when you look at the story of Elisha and the woman from Shunem, keep in mind that women can represent the church or the nation of Israel. All right, the church or the nation of Israel. Right here, I believe this woman is a picture of the church. In particular, because her name, well, not her name, but in particular, because her ethnicity is mentioned. She's known as the Shunammite, the Shulamite, Shunammite, doesn't matter. She's known as a Gentile woman, right? And the church is made up of Gentiles. So again, I believe this woman is a picture of the church. So what happens is she realizes that Elisha, the man of God, hey, he is the man of God. 
And every time he passes by, she realizes every time he comes, he brings the anointing of God with him. So let me start feeding him so he'll, he'll spend some time with us. I want the anointing to come on me and my house. I want the anointing of God to cover me. You know that, and I think it's in 1 John. John says this, you have no need that anyone should teach you for the same anointing within you teaches you all things. You see, the beauty of church is this. You're not learning something that you didn't know. Inside you, the Holy Spirit knows all things. But when I stand up here and say something you've never heard, the Holy Spirit inside you says, yes, this is right. Yes, this is right. And when you walk out of here, he says, no, that's wrong. No, they're all wrong. All right. <laughs> and so the point is this. You have no need that anyone should teach you on your own. The Holy Spirit can teach you all things. But when you come to church, you're accelerating your growth. And everyone said, all right. Hallelujah. So again, she didn't have the anointing within her. She had the anointing in the man of God. And she said, I want that same anointing on me. So she said, let's start feeding the man of God so that when he passes by, the anointing can be here for a while. And everywhere the anointing is or everywhere the anointed are, the favor of God is there. And everyone said, amen. amen. So she starts feeding him. And then she looks at her husband in verse 10. She says, hey, let's make a small room for him. Why should he have to come and eat and then go find somewhere else to stay? Let's build a room for him here so that when he comes, he can stay here. Let's maximize on this, on this moment. Let's get the most out of his anointing as we possibly can. Because if he spends the night, how much of the anointing will be here? Smart woman, right? So she says, let's build a, let's build a house for him. Now, we're not going to read the whole story. It's a lot of verses. So the husband agrees. They build a house for him. And finally, one day, when uh, Elisha is there, he wakes up the next morning, gets out of bed, and he's like, man, probably thinking this is a nice bed. What a nice woman. He calls Gehazi. What a nice family. He calls his servant Gehazi, and he says, Gehazi, ask her what we can do for her to tell her thank you for what she's done. She tells him, we don't need anything. We're just glad to be uh, able to help the man of God. So Gehazi comes back and tells Elisha, he says, well, she says she didn't need anything. They're just happy to do this. And Elisha says, come on, you can't do something for a man of God and God not bless you back. My paraphrased version. He says, we got to do something. Gehazi said, well, keep in mind, her husband is old. Okay, her husband is old, but she still doesn't have any children. Now, I'm glad that the Bible is so particular with these words. Her husband is old. It's a picture of the church when we were married to the law. Are you with me? The law came before grace came. So her husband was old. As long as he was old, they can never produce. But he never says that she is old. The implication is her husband is old, her husband's old, but she's still somewhat young, meaning she can still produce. Let me say this. None of you are old in the name of Jesus. None of you. And everyone said, all right. Our husband, the law was, is. That's why we are married to another. And his name is Jesus. So he says her husband's old. She can't have any children. He says, let's fix that. Tell her to come to me. So she comes and stands in the doorway and he says this. You'll be holding a son this time next year. She looks at him and with an exclamation point in the New King James. Don't lie to me, man of God. And she walks away. <laughs> There's nothing else recorded that they had any other conversation. She just says, don't lie to me, man of God. Exclamation point. Then she walks out. That time next year. Guess what? She's holding the promise. She is now fruitful. All right. So she's fruitful. She has a son. So anyways, we fast forward a couple of years. The boy is growing up. Elisha still is coming and going to the house. He's coming and going. One day the, the boy goes out to the field to see his father, where his father's with the reapers. And when he walks out into the field, all of a sudden he says, my head, my head. So the father looks at one of the servants, says, hey, take my son back home to his mother. When he gets back home to his mother, he crawls into her lap and he dies. Now, 
the very thing she didn't ask God for at that moment. Let me say this. There's no recorded moment saying that she asked God for that. She didn't ask God. But now that God has given her a miracle, all of a sudden she's holding him in her hands and he dies. Now, how traumatic. In fact, look at this. Let's skip ahead to the next verse. In verse 20, it says, when he had taken him back to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. Don't let these words just pass by you. Keep in mind, she had him in her hands and he dies. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door on him and went out. Now, right here, we have an awesome picture of what the church should have done, what the church needs to do. We're about to get a glimpse or a key into how to bring something that's dead back to life. Are you ready? Now, watch this. It says she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. She knew the anointing was on the man of God, and he's been sleeping here for a couple years. She takes what's dead and she puts him on the anointing. Are you ready? (laughs) I love this story. She puts him on the anointing. If it seems like it's dead in your life, make it impact the anointing of God. Make sure that the anointing of God is there. All right. Let me say this. There are a lot of anointed ministers. All right. But not every message every minister preaches is anointed. Just because the call of God is on your life doesn't mean what you're saying is anointed. Whatever speaks of Jesus is anointed. All right. If it speaks of Jesus and glorifies Christ and Christ alone, that is anointed. Let me tell you this. Uh, this is just a side note. I heard a sermon by a great man of God. I won't say his name. Um, no, it's not him. I heard a sermon by a great man of God a while back. And um, when, when I saw the service, just the, 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 the crowd that was there, they went crazy. They were just, oh, they were jumping, shouting, screaming. I was like, my good God. And the, the, the point of the message was this. He was talking about pictures. He said, your life is like a picture. And that was the whole crux of it. Your life is like a picture. And he said this. Because your life is like a picture, if there are certain things in it that you don't like, what do you need to do? Instead of trying to repaint the picture, you need a smaller frame. Now, the people went crazy. Good God. You would have thought Jesus stepped into the room. Now, let me say this. There is some, there's some truth to that. I, I thought, what's well, just catchy? That can preach in some places. Maybe not here, but that can preach in some places. If you don't like the picture, make the frame smaller. And if you still don't like the certain people in your picture, then you might need a new frame altogether. So change the frame or, or, or go find another picture because your life is like a picture and you need the frame to be smaller. And they went crazy. The people went crazy. They, and I'm not lying. Some of them were jumping on chairs. And it was just like, and there's nothing wrong. Let me say, if you jump on a chair on a Sunday, I'm going to say, yes, Lord. Go ahead. But I mean, let it be because we're talking about Jesus. Let it be. Let me say this. If there are people in your life that you don't like, make your frame smaller. Yes. <laughs> I'm a firm believer in that. There are some people that are not good. But you know, when I was meditating on that sometime later, this is true. I was meditating sometime later. And I remember thinking, I said, God, that's just, I don't get, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand. Make your frame smaller. And the Lord said, son, the problem with that statement is this. I never told Abraham to make his frame smaller. As God is my witness, he said, I never told Abraham to make his frame smaller. And straight away, I went back to the story. And I went back to the story of Abraham. And you know what God did? God said, Abraham, I want you to leave everyone else behind. Take your family, take your wife. All right, you're one. Take your wife and take what's yours. Leave everyone else behind. Go. And we all know the story, right? He took Lot with him. Lot was never supposed to be with him. So now we have a picture and we have someone in our frame that shouldn't be there. All right? And all of a sudden, the, and, when, and the Lord never told him, why did you bring Lot? He never said anything about Lot. Do you know how God got rid of Lot? 
We give Abraham credit. Do you know how God got rid of Lot? You know what he did? He blessed Abraham so much that Lot was uncomfortable and Lot had no choice but to leave. <laughs> now, where is the frame? <laughs> Make the frame smaller. And I'm telling you, the Lord said, son, that's, that's, that's how I work. I would bless you so much that who shouldn't be in your life, they're uncomfortable and they have to leave. So again, if you want to jump on a chair, please, let me, as the pastor of this church, jump on chairs. Run. Run around. I mean it. Run. We grew up in a Pentecostal environment. That's my root. That's my foundation, man. Scream, shout, dance. Run around the church. You want to roll a little bit? Roll. Hallelujah. I'm with you. Let's get it. Let's do it. But if you're going to do it, let it be because it was worth doing it about. <laughs> All right? You shouldn't be jumping on the chair. I'm, I, this was a horrible detour. I'm so sorry. You shouldn't be jumping on chairs and screaming and shouting because I told you to make your frame smaller. Let it be about Jesus. And everyone said, how do we get on that? Anointed. Yes. So just because a, a preacher is anointed doesn't mean what's coming out of his mouth is anointed. If it's about Christ, it's anointed. And if it's about the cross, it's anointed. I like to think all our sermons are anointed. <laughs> and everyone said, <laughs> I do. Because we preach Jesus. We preach it. But I know I'm not the only one. There are other pastors that preach Jesus too. There's not a lot of them. But we are out there. <laughs> and everyone said, Amen. Amen. So what did she do? She said, let me lay him on the anointing. Let me start that sermon again. (laughs) Let me lay him on the anointing. You know what you need to do when something dies in your life? Start playing anointed sermons in your house. I'm serious. Turn on anointed sermons. Before Christina and I got married, I used to play Joseph Prince when I was asleep. I played him in my car. I played him uh, when I was cooking. I played him everywhere. And when we got married, she was like, okay, I can't sleep to this. (laughs) I can't sleep to this. I was like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So I backtrack a little bit. I backtrack a little bit. All right. Compromise. Marriage is about compromise, right? So I didn't play him while we were sleeping. But I still play him in my office. I haven't played him here. I play him in the car. And, and you know, we had not just Joseph Prince, myself. We had, she has my sermon. I was so surprised. This is a side note. I'll cut this out the sermon. She had, she had me playing in her car the other day. I was like, whoa, who is this amazing preacher? That was good. <laughs> she said, oh, I wasn't there that Sunday, so I wanted to make sure I heard it. So anyways, that said, no, no, no. But I'm serious. Take anointed sermons and play them. Play them. Introduce the anointing into your life. You are anointed, but introduce the anointing, the word of God in. Now, let me show you why in just a moment. After that, do I have the next verse? Do we have the next verse? What is this, verse 20? Oh, we went ahead. So in 21, she lays him on the bed and she goes to find the man of God. In verse 22, it says that she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. Now she's in a hurry. She didn't say, I'm going to go find him. She said, I'm going to run to him. She's in a hurry. So she said, why are you going to, he said, why are you going to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. Translation in the Hebrew, one word, shalom. Husband says, why are you going to find the man of God? Probably in tears too, heartbroken. Why are you going to find the man of God? It's not time to give him yet. God works in seasons, sweetheart. Don't you know that God works in seasons? It's not the new moon and it's not the Sabbath. It's not the season for God to move in this way yet. And what did she say? Shalom. Translation, shut up. Now, what did she, what did she really say? She didn't say shut up. What did she really say? Grace, it is well. Nothing is missing. Nothing's broken. She's declaring what she wants to see. But she declared it in one word. What did she say? She said shalom. It is well is English. One word in Hebrew, shalom. Peace. There's nothing missing. There's nothing broken. Now, after that, where does she go? 
In verse 24, it says, Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. She's in a hurry. <laughs> she says peace. And the idea of peace is that everything's calm. We're moving slow. Well, let me say this. Peace is not what's going on on the outside of you. Peace is what's going on on the inside of you. So she says, go and don't slow down unless I tell you to. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. I think the next Israel trip, they're going to Mount Carmel. They're going to take a different route this time. Instead of Tel Aviv, going to, I'm sorry, instead of uh, Galilee first, they're going to Mount Carmel. So you'll be there. Anyways, so it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant, Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman. Please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well, or one word, shalom. Again, her son is dead. He's dead. And according to her husband, it's not the time or the season for God to give them another miracle. Likewise, the man of God is going, what is she doing here? It's probably not the time or season for me to do something for her or for me to do something for anyone yet. I have to wait for the time. I have to wait for the season. And yet she said, I don't care about seasons. I don't care about times anymore. My son is dead. I'm going to find you. Yes. And when the servant says, is everything all right? Peace. Shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. It is well. She's declaring what she wants to see, even though she doesn't have it yet. I love this. Verse 27. Now, when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. Notice she didn't come to him face to face. Heart still broken, probably can barely stand. She grabs him by his feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone for her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Now, I love this story because, look, the man of God is he has this 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 mentality about him. Me and God are so good that God tells me everything I need to know before it happens. But this woman Snuck under the radar. <laughs> she kept declaring peace so much so that no one knew that something was going on in her life. I love it. I'm telling you, the world will look at you. And like we talked about last week, just like we said last week, the world will look at you and they will say, how is it that God is doing all this for you? And God's response to the mouth of Balaam was, I have not seen it and I have not observed any sin or iniquity. I haven't seen it. As far as I'm concerned, Matthew is perfect. As far as I'm concerned, you are perfect. And the world is going, but we know you're, 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 you're worse than us. No, okay, you're not. You, you do things like us. But as far as God's concerned, he wants the world to look at you and know that there's nothing wrong. As far as God's concerned, there's nothing going on here. There's no sick. There's no sin. I have not observed any sin and I have not seen any wickedness. It's not that you're perfect. But as far as God's concerned, what he sees in you is perfection. And everyone said now, let me, let me show you. Let me, I didn't have the rest of the story for too many slides. What happens is this. He realizes that something has gone wrong. So he says, Gehazi, take my staff, and we're all going to the house of the Shunammite. He says, take my staff and put it on the face of the boy. When he takes his staff, don't, don't forget the staff is a picture of a shepherd in a sense. Shepherding, right? David said, your rod and your staff, they do what to me? They comfort me. So he says, take my staff and put it on the face of the boy while we're on the way to the house. Gehazi goes ahead, he puts the staff on, but nothing happens. In fact, the Bible says it like this. He could neither hear nor see. So he takes the staff and he goes back to Elisha and he says, it didn't work. The boy is still dead. Now, what is that a picture of? You see, many of us think, oh, we need is just a shepherd. We need a shepherd. We need, we need a shepherd. We need to shepherd. Look, <laughs> before we need a shepherd, we need a savior who loves us. He is a shepherd, but he also knows what we need in that moment. For what was dead, he didn't need a shepherd at that moment. So he gives the staff back to Elisha. Elisha says, all right, let's go. When he gets to the house, he shuts the door behind him and he leaves Gehazi and the woman behind him. 
He goes into the room, and the Bible says when he walks into the room, he starts praying to the Lord. After he prays to the Lord, he lays down across the boy. Now, what is he doing? The boy is laying on his anointing on one side, and then Elisha sandwiches him between the anointing. All right? You're going to get it from all sides. Don't just play the sermon here. Play the sermon there. All right? Play it everywhere you go. Well, I love listening to worship music. Yes, worship is great, but right now I need God to move. I need God to speak to me. All right? Lord, I, don't, I can't give it to you if you don't give it to me first. So give me a reason to lift my hands. I need to hear the word again. Are you with me? So what does he do? He sandwiches the boy under the anointing. Anointing underneath, anointing on top. Then the Bible says he puts his mouth to his mouth. He puts his eyes to his eyes and his hands to his hands. What is that a picture of? Mouth to mouth. Put God's word into his mouth. Put my words into your mouth. You know what happens when God's word leaves him? It sharpens the sword on one side. But then when the word comes out of your mouth, it sharpens it on the other. How do you get a double-edged sword when you speak out the word of God? (laughs) Are you with me? Then he puts his eyes to his eyes. What is God looking at right now? God looks at his son. He loves to look at Jesus. Likewise, put your eyes where his eyes are. God loves to look at Jesus. Likewise, let's look at Jesus. Then he puts his hands to his hands. After you have put God's word in your mouth, after you've seen what God wants you to see, now it's time to do what God is doing. Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it first. Are you with me? After that, guess what happens? The boy sneezes seven times and he comes back to life. Now, when I read this story, I was reminded of someone else who raised a boy back to life. I'm sorry, a child, a girl back to life. But he didn't have to do all of this. (laughs) You know what he did? He said, Talita kumi. And then when he finished, you know what Elisha did? When Elisha raised this girl back, this boy back to life, he opened the door and said, come, take your son. Meaning he couldn't give the boy back to her. But when Jesus raised the little girl back to life, he says, the Bible says he literally gave her back to her parents. (laughs) Are you with me? Under the old, God moved and it was powerful. But under the new, Jesus is bringing it to you. You don't have to go look for it anymore. He is bringing it to you. I love it. Now, all of this started and all this came from her saying what? Peace. Let me give you the key and we'll close with this. What is your part? Declare peace. Declare peace. Declare peace. Every time you declare peace, you're saying, I don't have to do the hard part. Jesus, you did the hard part. You offered up the fat so that I could eat the breast. You offered up the fat so that I could eat your strength. You did the hard part. My part, declare peace. Use your words. Declare God's peace over your life. I'm serious. Declare God's peace. When all hell is breaking loose, declare God's peace. When the relationship looks like it's being broken entirely, start declaring God's peace. Don't get me wrong. I love to declare the favor of God. But sometimes declare God's peace too. Say shalom. I'm serious. Just open your mouth. Start saying shalom. Father, I declare your shalom over this. I declare your shalom over my house. Aaliyah had a housewoman the other day. I wrote in her card. May God's favor and peace rest on your house. Amen. Start, and, then, you know, and knowing what I was going to preach this Sunday, I started doing it in my house. When the last time I did that, you're right, Lord. You're absolutely right. The preacher doesn't always do it. So you know what? I had to go home and I said, you know what? Father, your, your peace is resting on this house. Your peace. Well, it didn't happen the first day I did it. So keep doing it. Keep doing it. Well, Matthew, I've been doing it for two days and it's still all hell on earth. You know, hell on earth. Keep doing it. Keep declaring God's peace over your house. Keep declaring it until you see it. And then when you see it, keep doing it. All right? Now, whenever you declare God's peace, again... Play anointed sermons. Play anointed messages. Let Jesus be welcome. You know what I didn't say earlier, and I meant to say this. She built a room for the man of God. What did she do? I want to make a place where the anointing of God can rest. I want to make a place where the man of God can rest. 
What's that for all of us? When is the last time you invited the Holy Spirit to your job? Think about it. When was the last time you were at work and you out of your mouth by yourself somewhere, you know, when I worked here, when was the last time you were at work and out of your mouth said, Holy Spirit, I invite you to this place. I invite you to this job. When was the last time you've done that? Now, don't feel guilty. <laughs> I heard a church that did it years ago and I started doing it myself. And honestly, I believe that God's favor is working for me because I learned a while back, invite the Holy Spirit. Invite him. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. But you know what? Make him comfortable. Make him feel welcome because he's stuck with you. <laughs> he is stuck with you. So make him feel welcome. And everyone said, can I close with this? One more story. Can I close with one more story? Ooh, we are way over time. I'll close with this. First Kings chapter three and I'll close. Look at the story of Solomon. Solomon offers up a thousand burnt offerings. We saw this two weeks ago. He offers up a thousand burnt offerings that night. God comes in in a dream and says, I'm impressed. Translation. I'm impressed. What do you want from me, Solomon, in the shores? He says, oh, God, give me a, uh, uh, we all know the story, give me wisdom. But in the Hebrew, he says, give me a wise and hearing heart. Not even wise. He said, give me a hearing heart. Literally, that's what he said. Give me a hearing heart, a heart with ears, a heart that can hear you, Lord. Because if I don't have a heart that can hear, I won't know how to judge your people the right way. I won't know how to lead them the right way. So, God, I need you to give me a heart that can hear your mouth. And God is so impressed with that. He says, Solomon, you didn't ask me for riches. In fact, look at verse 11. Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself, nor asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice in the Hebrew, ears to hear what I have to say. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and hearing heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor. So there shall not be any more like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes, my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Now watch this. God says, I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. You asked for one thing. You just wanted to hear my voice. You want to hear me talk? Then I'll give you everything else on the back end of it. And then he says this. Walk in my ways like your father David, and I'll make sure you have a long, long life. Now we know that Solomon didn't do that. He married way too many women, and they all led him the wrong direction. And we know that Solomon died at a very young age. All right? But suffice to say, he got the first part because of the, the request. Then, look at verse 15, and we'll close with this. It says, Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem. Now keep in mind, when he did this, he was actually in Gibeah. He was in Gibeah. The Ark of the Covenant wasn't there. God's presence was not in Gibeah. God's presence was in Jerusalem. But he goes to Gibeah because the Ark had been there at one time. And there he starts to offer up all these sacrifices. He starts offering. He starts offering. And there, when he's not actually at the Ark of the Covenant where God himself is, there God gives him the dream. The next morning, he gets together and says, let's go to the Ark. Let's go to the presence of God. Verse 15, one more time. He stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered what offerings? <laughs> and made a feast for all his servants. And we'll close with this. When we talk about the peace offering again, it's a picture of you sitting at the table and God sitting at the table with you. How did he seal the deal? How does God seal the deal? When he came to Abraham, he could have just said, your wife will have a son. But how does he seal the deal? Let's eat. At, the, at, at Mount Sinai, how did he seal the deal with Moses and the elders? After he gave the Ten Commandments, you shall not, you shall not, in chapter 20, he seals the deal a few chapters later by saying, come up to me and let's eat. 
when Jesus was in the upper room on the night of the Passover, they were already having the Passover meal. And there Jesus said, hey, guess what? While we're eating, this is the new covenant. This is how we seal it. This is how we initiate what's about to take place. This will be the beginning of what we just discussed. Every time you sit down and eat with God, you're saying, hey, let's start this thing now. That's why I'm a huge fan of communion. When you sit down and take communion, what you're saying is, I'm ready now to receive everything that should come through this. Everything you promised me in here, I'm ready for it to start coming out. I'm ready to start sealing the deal. I'm ready to start initiating what you said belongs to me, Jesus. Every time you sit down and eat, and I love it because you know what, you know how you know that that's what happened? Look at this. He offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast. Where did the food come from that they ate on at the feast? From the peace offering. When they had the peace offering, they were cutting all the fat. They put all the fat on the altar. And while they were offering up, they had breast and they had thighs. And Solomon said, well, let's have a feast. Let's everybody eat. Do you know what happens after this? Immediately after this story? You know what happens after this story? After this story, the very next verse in verse 16, it says this. Two prostitutes come to him. And they say, whoa, my baby died last night. Her baby died. And this morning she took mine because she rolled over and fell asleep on her baby. And the other one says, it wasn't mine that died. It was yours that died. I didn't take yours. The baby's mine. And Solomon, oh my God, too many women talking and screaming at each other. I can't do this. I'm joking, ladies. I promise I'm playing. He says, too, I don't know how to, you know what he says? Fine. Cut the baby in half. She gets the head. He, she gets the bottom. No, 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 please. She can have the baby. He says, all right, she's the mother. <laughs> and out of that story, the Bible says all of Israel heard of his wisdom. All of Israel heard of how great he was. He sealed the deal with God, even though he hadn't seen it yet. But as soon as he seals the deal by eating with God, all of a sudden we get this story that really doesn't fit. Two prostitutes. Why is a king determining what happens between two prostitutes? Weren't there judges? Weren't there police officers? Wasn't someone underneath him? But listen, when you have a hearing heart, there's nothing too small for God. And no matter how small it is, don't overlook anything. Don't, well, I can't deal with that. That's too small. God, give me something big. It was something small that caused all of Israel to hear God is with him. And they feared him and revered him as someone who heard from God. Mm. I went way over my time. I love you. And I'm going to pray for you. Are you ready to go home? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for your truth. Father, we thank you for the peace offering. And Lord, I ask this week that you will remind everyone to eat. I love you. Can you lift your hands? I'll let you go. Lift your hands, I'll let you go. May the Lord bless you in your going out and in your coming in. May the Lord keep you and your family always at the right place at the right time. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and may you enjoy his peace this week. And may the Panthers win. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. I love you. We will see you all next week. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.